This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Well, hello, everybody. Man, do we have a show for you today. Very exciting. Very, Matt, are you excited? Yes, because we are talking to a sex therapist. Yes, uh, a sex coach. Uh, so how Storm, am I not Stormy excited Hill. about that? How could uh, I not be? Yeah, uh, she's great. You guys are just going to love this interview. It's going to be so awesome. Uh, and, uh, I should, you know, uh, we probably will have her back on. Maybe next time I'll just take some questions from the audience. Cause it would be nice to hear questions besides just Matt and Toby sex questions. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if people, I don't think that you and I are considered sex symbols. Like we're, we're, well, we have a little bit of, we have a little bit of fame and we're not terrible looking, but nobody ever really thinks about, oh man, sexy. I, I, I wouldn't say nobody. Who's you know ever I mean? said you're sexy? Well, Ooh. I'm not. I'm not saying anybody. I've no ever, one's ever I, said you're sexy. Uh, okay, what I'm saying is we <laughs> have a certain amount of notoriety where there's a certain amount of quirky people with quirky tastes who might have bit benefited by yeah. the fact that they listen a lot or like the band or whatever. And you sing like uh, I think you're probably you know how Devin gets looked at and treated always oh, has, yeah. but even always more has. so. Can you imagine how many, for instance, women like fantasize about Devin directly, like not. A small amount, a large amount, right? Probably. Compared yeah. to if he wasn't, first of all, he's already good looking yeah. and he's in a band and right. he sings lyrics and love songs. So you know that there's many women who've been very attracted to him that have never made a pass at him, met him, talked to him or yeah. anything, right? So, yeah, maybe so you and I, you know, way less, 89% less than him, but more than we, we there, there are secret admirers that you'll never know about that you do have. That's my only yeah. point. That is that is something. That is There's, worth something. There, now, I sure don't have to fight him off with a stick or anything. I'm not led into temptation often. I'm sure that there's is not one. Tr- not true, but every once in a while I go, hey, wait a second. Wait a second. There's yeah. something, you know, once in a while I say, wait a minute, this is a temptation that has come my way because I'm in a band. Once mm-hmm. in a while that happens, and that has to represent others that I, I've never met. So I, I'm going to agree to disagree. I, Maybe we, you we, are a sex symbol have, more than you we think. We might have one person each and on earth. <laughs> well, mean, it's one more than I would have had. I'm just saying. Would, would your wife consider you sexy? Does my no. wife consider uh, the person I'm married? And no. the only only person I have sex with does not consider me sexy. Well, I, even that, you're a short selling yourself, I think. Uh, maybe a little bit. But I'm just saying, doesn't think about it that way. We, you're not going to get in G. How do we get here? You asked if we're a sex symbol. And I say yes in a minor way to somebody. Okay, you won me over. I'm, <laughs> I guess I am. I'm not. I'm gonna stop wearing shirts on the podcast. That's gonna be dope. <laughs> uh, okay, before we get to Stormy, um, if you haven't joined the BC Club, why not? What is wrong with you? Maybe you are so impressed by mine and Matt's looks that you think I could never be in that club because you'd be salivating too much. Come on, join the BC Club. You get two bonus episodes. Uh, we actually just basically only one. fans. If you think about it, yeah. Only fans of Matt and Toby. 
Um, and so uh, you can join. You get the two bonus episodes if you go to thebcclub.com. You can join, and uh, you also get, like, the whole catalog of Emory. Uh, there's a bunch of extra bonus content that you get constantly. You get into the uh, social media groups, all kinds. Of, there's, there's a ton. And one of the perks is that you, when you join the club, get your name read on the podcast. And uh, I'm loving this, Matt. And so uh, today, what's interesting, all the folks, when we read their names, they send in little, you know, quirky things like their nickname, their favorite demon, it was one of them, um, you know, it was a bunch of stuff like that. This time they sent, and it's a challenge to you, Matt. Okay. They sent in different words, uh, different uh, languages for the word poop. So we say in English poop, right? And so they're asking you to guess which country it comes what from. language their yeah. scatological words yep. so are the, from. So the first name is Got John, John uh, Grant and his uh language for you got to guess the language for the, the word is popa popa swahili nope catalan <laughs> i don't even know what catalan is it where is that what's catalan, catalan? all right we got cameron case here uh uloste portuguese finish shit uh we got jacob beach and his is uh kukur estonian icelandic damn it <laughs> We got Thomas McCoy. His is, uh, these are hard to pronounce. Rufa. English. Polish. Polish. And then lastly, Matthew Lamont. And his is uh, Mierda. Oh, that's Spanish. Got it. Yeah, I know. I know Mierda. Oh, Mierda. One for five. Not bad. Pretty good. Pretty good. So, hey, you can send in, you know, join the club. You'll get your name written. You can send in whatever you want uh, along with it. uh, And that's going to be pretty amazing. So. Okay, we got that. What else we got on the docket here for us, Matt? Well, a lot of people caught the news. We had, you know, we've been kind of quiet for a while, you know, with a lot of stuff brewing, and we got a bunch of stuff that is exploding right now as we enter into the wild time of the year. Mm -hmm. I was telling you before that it's basically, I feel like with the pandemic, it was this one way, and then people were saying after the pandemic, we're going to have a roaring 20s kind of situation on our hands. Yes. And even though I am worried about, Things like the economy and war and, you know. Like the end of human civilization. Yeah, I am worried about that. But I feel strong that we're probably going to get at least a roaring 20. Yeah, so one year. Maybe a two. But I feel that we're at a new place. So anyway, we got a lot of big stuff happening. Music business has been popping off specifically. Um, And this is a long. It's been popping off. (laughs) It's been popping off. I'm telling you, there's so much. There's so much has gone on and re-solidified on the the industry side um, from the time that labels collapsed and the music business collapsed in 2009 and 10 to the. And we spent another decade after that being independent and the Kickstarter, uh, the crowdfunding and all that stuff. And it continues to shift and readjust always in the advantage of the artist has been the trend ever since that time um happened and now we have all the web three stuff brewing that's eventually gonna pop off and reintegrate the the new uh commercial models probably with the uh crowd artist empowerment movement that's really going on so we've spent about 10 years in the early stages of the what i think is the artist empowerment you know kind of movement brewing and some of that stuff starting to really come together uh particularly in the in the case of record labels and record releases, uh, artists now have a tremendous amount more power against, I say against, labels. But in the relationship with labels in the music industry, 
um, things have shifted a bunch. So now, we, if you heard the news, we're back on Tooth & Nail. Yes, and we are. By on Tooth & Nail, that means we have a licensing deal with Tooth & Nail because we already have our own ecosystem. We already funded right. our own record, Rub Some Dirt Out. We already made it. We already did an online event. We already did a pre-order. We already did the uh, release to our membership. Uh, you know, everybody in Emeryland already has it. Everybody in the BC Club already has it. Right. And after we've done all that commerce, instead of just dumping it out on Spotify, we're now able to make a licensing deal with a major record label that has a very powerful distribution um, arm. Uh, it's called Orchard is their distribution. So we give up a percentage and we get to make a licensing deal where we retain ownership and get to work with the label that we've always liked and gotten along with and think understand us the best and that we belong with and that we do labeled with and everything. So now it's restabilized in a way where they're just a bolt-on, add-on part of our team where we send a marketing plan. We have these ideas. We've we've been working on ourselves this long and now get to partner in this positive way, and there's bright things in the future. So um, we have re-signed a tooth and nail very excited about that partnership and we rub some dirt on it. It's now going to get a proper commercial industry push publicist, all this stuff. And that right. is going to hit Spotify on June 24th tooth and nail record. Mm. So that is a huge deal. That'd and be then cool to see the CD with the tooth and nail logo on the back of it. Again. Yep. That's kind of cool. You know, We're getting CDs. Yeah. All that stuff. Getting a little yep. nostalgic. All right. What else? Feeling like that's going to really be good. So that is just part of the warm up event. If you saw the bigger news or if I'm announcing it to you, um, all those things kind of also work together from podcasting, indie band, labels, culture, labeled fest. The first yes. labeled fest was last year. It was a warm-up show for Furnace Fest. It was a sold-out show. Brandon was there. Everybody was there. It was awesome. Um, and down the street from at that, we had As Cities Burn and Hope's Fall were on. Down the street from that, okay, that yeah. same night, Norma Jean played a sold-out show, was too. That, yeah. Yeah, and Zayo played down the street anyway. So that yeah. community, that this kind of thing we've got going on with the label and everything is, is so good. It was a goal of mine to have a labeled fest again next year, um, but in a much bigger way. So labeled fest is now a traveling, touring, regional festival. So there's three legs announced now of labeled fest. Uh, and labeled fest has on it Norma Jean, Emory. It's got Aaron Gillespie doing the almost southern weather front to back. Uh Oh, Sleeper is on uh, some of the dates. Watashi Wa, all the way back to Tooth and Nail Tour. Idol Threat, Salt Creek, Creek. and there's going to be some surprise guests, I believe, but I cannot 100% confirm, but I think there'll be more surprises. Uh, There's a Texas leg, a Southeast leg, and a West Coast leg, and that's so far. I'm not saying there won't be more legs. but most likely will be more legs. But this one has just been super exciting because we had the dates on hold. We were trying to figure out how's em- what's Emory going to do this year. We got to rub some dirt on it to support now. We got a label behind us. And as soon as we got, uh, you know, I just texted all these people and said, hey, I got these dates on hold. I think we can make something special here. A bunch of people were stoked. And then our agent didn't even get the idea at first. And then he went to the, pro- he was like, oh, that sounds complicated. And then he went to the promoters and all the promoters freaked out, got bigger rooms, gave us great offers. And so wow. it's just like, it just, you know, snapped into place. It should be a, a, a pretty big deal. So labeled fest, um, being the vehicle to then promote, rub some dirt on it, and do podcasts and storytelling around it and everything else. Uh, that, that's that that's the backbone of the marketing plan. So it's going to be exciting. Let me say that lineup one more time. Norma Jean, Emery, Aaron Gillespie playing the full record Southern Weather front to back. Oh, Sleeper's going to be on some days. Watashi, Idol Threat, Salt Creek, and there might even be some few surprises other guests right. along the way. So you can go to labeleduniverse.com or you can go to emerymusic.com. 
uh, to get those. Also, there's going to be some cool VIP tickets. Um, so you can go to Label Universe or Emory Music as well for those. Um, it's going to be fun. Come hang out with us early before the show, you know, the, a little bit. The VIP, so, in, the info for the VIP, I think, is interesting. And I don't like the term VIP. I find it a little alienating. Like, you I know, hear you. It's like it's, it feels like yeah. you get a champagne bottle at a strip club or something. But any in any That's case, cool, though. just, to, well, that is cool. <laughs> but what the, the message about VIP that, is important is that really is the thing that the bands actually get the money for because right. ticketing fucking sucks okay so let me just say that now we'll build this ecosystem and this website and try to, to get these it. rooms whatever and then at some point through that journey you got to click on this thing go to a ticket master site or a third party who ticket master is probably selling them to and charging all the fees and all that stuff mm-hmm. i just let me say i'm so angry that the industry is like it is look watch the john oliver thing on it is right. pretty right on People are paying so much for tickets. That sucks. You know, the ticket, our end of the tickets is like $25 and that gets split a bunch of ways. But then people wind up paying all this money for tickets that goes to who the fuck knows. But VIP is a direct sale situation. So if you're the type of person you spend that money on VIP, if that makes it worth it for you, at least rest assured that that money comes and that the bands will directly, almost directly, totally get it and split it. So uh, that's why that's important to us, and we hope it makes sense to you to get early yep. admission and so, the stuff and the poster and the things like that, too. So, so go to emorymusic.com or labeleduniverse.com to get those. Last, well, i got two two real quick things. One, uh, it's the last day to sign up for the Knuckle Breaker Challenge, if you hadn't. The Knuckle Breaker Ch- Challenge lasts nine, uh, 69 days. It's through May 6th through July 13th. It's uh, $50 or $70 to, uh, to sign up, depending on if you want to be on a team or if you want to be individual. But also, you have the option to get that $50 back. So, like, if you uh, go through it and you want to get your money back at the end, you can. The main thing is you just can't quit. If you don't quit, you can do whatever you want. If you, can, you finish, no matter yeah. how your performance, you can get your money back, and that's just motivation for you. You have to have skin in the game. You put up 50 right. bucks, and you can tip out the 50 bucks to the challenge or take it back at the end yep. either way. Yeah, uh, so you can, like I said, you can participate in a, as an individual or in a group, a group league, which will be more competitive with prizes and an individual league that will be less competitive and more self-directed. So choose your own adventure, you folks. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Anchor of Hope Box and Marriage Supply are sponsoring the challenge. And you can Thank support. You both. Yeah, you can support Anchor of Hope Box and MarriageSupply.com. Uh, if you go to AnchorofHopeBox.com and MarriageSupply.com, you can use BCPOD to get 10% off your order. I love my Anchor of Hope Box orders that come in. They're just, they're awesome. Uh, read more about it. They just are helping folks be entrepreneurial uh, that wouldn't have another opportunity. And so it's really cool. And of course, Marriage Supply, you get the best stuff on the whole world. And I'm talking about adult toys. And everybody could use one of those. So go to marriagesupply.com as well. Either anchorofhopebox.com or uh, marriagesupply.com. Use BCPOD for 10% off your order. And that, and if you want to sign up for the challenges, knucklebreakerchallenge.com to register. Do it now. Last day. Hurry up. All right. Can we get to the sex talk? Yeah. All right. Let's, let's do it. on Stormy. So I got into TikTok way before everybody else. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I just did. I just thought. I just thought it was really great, and I'm finding more and more guests through TikTok for our podcast. It's crazy because I love the format. Just you can give so much information, and not only that, you can make it entertaining and funny. Like your videos really just caught me because I was like, "Oh man, this is really interesting." Because you, you, like, I mean, you give sex facts. You uh, <laughs> and, and you're even like really vulnerable with your story. It, yeah. It, but but it's a lot of information really quickly which is uh i mean it's just the way the world is going i you know it easter is. Was the, 
Easter was, you know, this past Sunday or whatever. And, um, I, the sermon, I was like, this is way too long. I could have gotten all of this in a, in a TikTok. It just, you know, I just, I, you know, I hadn't been to church in, in, in many years, but I went, you know, visited my mother-in-law. We went to church and I was like, if he would have made a TikTok and shown that six, 30 seconds or 60 seconds, everybody would have yeah. loved it and been more entertained. Totally. And, you know, my That's kids are awesome. looking up. Yeah. So anyway. So I love we're, your uh, accent. Where are you from? It's so beautiful. Oh yeah. We're, we're both from South Carolina. So oh, nice. Yeah. I went to school in North Carolina. So oh, I okay. love yeah. 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 I just awesome. moved. I just moved to the Midwest from uh, North Carolina. I was living in Charlotte. So. Oh, I love yeah. Charlotte. Yeah, yeah. I was at Duke. And so I was in Durham, but I was dating. A guy oh, nice. Charlotte, so. Oh, I love Great. that area. Well, yeah, we, we, you know, I'm, I live in Seattle now, but we grew up in South Carolina until 2001. Um, and just have carried our accents with us where, where we went, but we grew up in ACC country, Clemson, yeah. you know, Duke Beautiful. basketball. I love the accent. Interesting Great. Year brings me right back home. So did you do medical <laughs> at Duke? Uh, no, I went to undergraduate at Duke. I did pre-med at Duke and then I did my medical. That's what I mean, but that was for your med. So you have a medical degree. I'm just curious about your background so we can just even look in it from there. So, but your undergrad was at Duke in Mm pre-med and then, um, and then what, after that, what degree did you And then medical school at Michigan State University, College of Human Medicine, um, and then graduate school (laughs) for a second time, uh, University of Southern California to become an occupational therapist. And I work in mental health in that space. Um, and then most recently, the last three years, doing sex and intimacy coaching. Okay, so that's yeah. a, that in itself is is quite a journey, just in the academic sense, and the um, you know to go from undergrad pre med, which I was undergrad pre med as well at Clemson, mm-hmm. but I got out of there after the first year. So I know <laughs> what it's like to be in that um, position of starting something like that, and then to to get it all the way down to what it is a degree, a specialty, and then mm-hmm. find something you know you love here that is informed by all that journey is is kind of fascinating so i'm, I'm curious yeah. more about that like did you <laughs> have the vision because it probably you didn't have the vision for where you are now when you started no out. if you had told me i was not going to be a doctor i was going to be divorced with one kid and be a sex coach i would have been like wait yeah. what <laughs> you know <laughs> so it's but it's been uh you know who becomes a sex coach at 42 but but I even think- occupational therapy is not the is not the uh, common or or you know that's a small percentage outcome of people that start in medicine totally. and stuff like that. Yeah, so I don't I'm, think there's a lot of MDOTs. And then there's only 3% of OTs that work in mental health. So those of us that do are really, really passionate and fiery about it. And mental health and wellness is, you know, something I'm very passionate about. So, and how can sex not be a part of that, which was yeah. what led to the sex coaching. <laughs> so interdisciplinary is the, is the word that comes there. It's like you have all these different interests that very much inform each other, but the specialty isn't. You know, like the you're pulling from all these specialties that you've been very deeply, you know, invested in. Yeah, absolutely. And it's to me, it's it's if you look at the wellness wheel, the fact that sex is not on the wellness wheel, I was like, we need to change that. <laughs> so I want to make a new one. But it's really like, how do you talk about wellness and how do you talk about, you know, being being well and being vibrant, and being alive in this world without talking about sex? We are all sexual beings. We all literally came from sexual energy. And yet we try to like repress the shit out of, can i can i swear yeah oh, totally yeah please <laughs> <Okay>. do <laughs> oh my gosh i was on a podcast the other day and i said penis and she looked so scared and i said oh, can i not say penis so i mean no yeah okay yeah you can say anything you want on this one uh <laughs> and, and that that was the other part about this too is because you have uh the love love deep lab that you've started and and that's your podcast as well and then your website and all of that stuff 
But we wanted to get in into it because, the, like I was saying earlier, the thing that was so interesting to me, lots of people on TikTok are starting to talk about sex and sexual health and wellness. Mm-hmm. But you really are uh, coming from a, a personal standpoint, too. Like your story, like, I mean, uh, it, it's interesting because you're obviously an intellectual, smart lady, attractive lady, and you have all this going for you. And then you end up in a marriage that was sex. Can you can you run us through like how, yeah, how, yeah well, just give us a little yeah, bit of that background. you know and it's so funny you never know like where your where your journeys are gonna lead and what lessons you're gonna learn from them um but i think you know my the fact that and, and and he's the father of my child and he's an amazing human being and a really great dad and we sucked as as, <laughs> as partners we we would say that we were we, we were brought together by whomever whatever to create our child and everything else was like our egos and our stubbornness so we never jived and we never jived in the bedroom um, and, you know, technically it was, it would have been a low sex marriage. Um, but you've heard me say probably in my content, but it felt like a sexless marriage. And again, you're yeah. talking about semantics and, you know, and nuances, but we always struggled in that realm. And, um, as I've shared, I just, it was just easier and really dysfunctional just to turn off my sex drive, just to literally like bury it down so deep that it was like, I couldn't even feel it anymore. Um, and so when I, when I hear people sharing like, wow, I can really relate to this. Like it really moves me like deeply because I've been there and I remember what that felt like. And I felt like a shell of myself. I felt like a shell of the, the powerful woman that I am and the powerful being that we all are. And so, um, and again, I don't, I don't blame my partner for that. Maybe I did at one point, but I don't anymore in my own journey. Um, and I'm so grateful for that. I got my kid out of this amazing, you know, time we spent together and being a mom is my greatest, my greatest joy. And he, and my son's my greatest teacher. And being in a marriage that struggled in so many areas, but sex, sexually was a big one. Um, it was like this fodder for what do I want to do? Like, what, how do I want to change my own life? And I, you, I say all the time, like it starts with our own growth. What, how do I want to be and move in the world and make love in the world? And that started me on this 15 year journey of sacred sexuality and Tantra and conscious kink and all these things, everything I could study about sexuality and different aspects of sexuality um, and then decided to teach it because I said, why do I not want to teach this? And so then it was really important to me to get certified and do a, a certification program because people joke and I get some hate comments on TikTok that you can become a coach in a weekend, which is true. But that wasn't my journey. I have this really deep background and it was important to me to be certified and um, you know become part of the World Association of Sex Coaches and a sexologist, which I think is such a fun title. So yeah. that what is been, that institution and who is that you certifies you? And I mean, tell me more about what certification. So the program, there's that. a lot of different um, sex coaching certifications out there. The one I did was Layla Martin's program um, called Vita, and it's a 650 hour, you know, one year certification program. Um, and then uh, applied for and was approved, interviewed for, it was approved for the World Association of Sex Coaches, which is a, they do, they sort of vet through you know, your skill set and your experience and your resume and your training. And if they put the stamp of approval on you, it's because they believe that you're sound, right? And it's really important to me to be sound. Um, we all make mistakes in everything we do, including coaching, but to be able to have a really deep background, to be really sound in the science and really sound in the non-science. Because what I love is how does science meet the mystical, the part we can't explain, right? Time-bending mind-blowing orgasms don't come from our brain. I mean, they say our brain is our biggest sex organ, and I agree, it is also our biggest barrier to great sex. So really being sound on the science and what can you do? What are the practices? But science meets the magic. Science meets the mysticism. And that's just like, I guess I'm a hybrid. We all are, right? So like you said, taking all these aspects of my own 
educational journey, but also my own personal journey and bringing those into the light. Because one of the things that we, why sex is so messed up in our culture is because it's not in the light. It's like majorly in like Mm -hmm. shadows of shame and repression and repression has never in the history of man worked. And yet we continue to try. And if there's one realm where we see it, maybe the most, or certainly one of the most is in the realm of sex and sexuality. Yeah. And, wh- Especially and the from reason- where we came from, church, the church world is just the most, I mean, it, we, we came from the most sexually repressed. I mean, we didn't talk about it. You weren't supposed to do it. If you had sex before marriage, you were going to hell. You were, mm-hmm. I mean, we were told all kinds of that. That's a little bit, I don't know how much you've heard about purity culture. I don't know your background with, with religion or Christianity, but that was, that was our experience of don't do it. Stay away from it. Save yourself till marriage. If you save yourself, then you'll have this great sex. And then yeah. that was the, <laughs> one of the biggest lies you've ever, we were ever told. It's so crazy. I mean, it, like, I mean, it's it's literally hilarious, right? You're going to bring two people together with two different backgrounds, with two different, you know, families of origin and cultural messaging and religious messaging, and then expect to have amazing sex. It's just, it's ridiculous. And so right. my mission, it really, my calling on this life besides being a mom is let's shed some light, some love, some science, some consciousness onto right. the fact that uh. everyone wants to have fabulous sex and nobody wants to talk about it, right? That's I said, I need to make t-shirts right. to say that. Can right. we spend a minute on the reason for the repress? I mean, of all things that have been repressed through all time, this is the main one that s- people have sought to control, like just all, just all the way through back to like, you know, women as property, as a sexual value to control that from ancient, ancient times or whatever that kind of thinking is. Something about that is just still obviously here <laughs> you know right. why yeah. why if it's the like there's something about sex that is maybe the the most fundamental universal thing therefore the most need to repress it like something there's something very profound about about it's like our is it do we care more about sex than eating really i mean is it, is it the <laughs> well, deepest right, the drive we have need, right Food, yeah. shelter, water, and sex. Those are some of our basic needs. Yeah. And yeah, we'll talk about food, shelter, and water, right? But shh, we're not going to talk about Yeah. This. But know, why? Like this, you know, <laughs> I think, part, I mean, Tim, that's a fabulous question. And actually one I've never been asked directly like that. But I, you know, so if I like, what just landed for me there is that it's the most powerful form of energy on the planet, right? It has the potential to create life, whether we choose to use it that way or not. Uh Right. Like nuclear energy and, you know, vision, like all these other energies destroy shit. Right. Like sex creates, creates life. Again, whether we choose to use it that way or not, what a part of what I get to teach is you don't have to use it in sex. You can channel it into other parts of your life, but it has this potency that I think really scares people and scares, you know, the church and scares our government and I mean, scares people individually and on a macro level. And so I think it's also so much of it can't be explained, right? We know the science about, you know, vasopressin and oxytocin, and we know what happens in orgasm and ejaculation, sort of, Um, you know, but even that, like I went to medical school, we didn't even learn about the internal clitoris. And it didn't like until 2000, I think three is when it started showing up in textbooks. Like what? There's a little, only a little bit of the clitoris shows the rest of it is inside and underneath. And there's so much amazingness there. Like, so even that, and now it is in textbooks and it is becoming more of something we talk about. But to answer your question, I think it's just that there's so much power there, right? Like the French call orgasm, the little death, right? La petite mort. Like wow. there's this moment where you lose it. If in a great orgasm, you lose where your boundaries are, where your partner's boundary or partner's boundaries are, you know, you lose yourself there. And that can be amazing 
and scary as shit, right? Because you don't really sense yourself, right? In in yeah. a really amazing deep. Yeah, orgasm. like two two kind of do become one in a way. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's you like know, the they little, call it the little death, which I love that. Yeah. <laughs> the that sounds the mystical, like the ego, a little ego death or it psychedelic, totally ego and, death. And, and it seems related to something we talk about. Tell me, our musicians, um, you know, by trade, mm-hmm. and something about music is that collective or losing yourself in the thing there you know the d- dancing sex music absolutely uh, psychedelics like they'll have mm-hmm. that loss of self little death uh maybe totally and it isn't and right ego death is so beautiful and also we really cling hard mm. <laughs> to not have our Scary. ego die right? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but i think there's that and then i think there's like you touched on i think there's also right uh you know men being afraid of women women being afraid of men and, and i see that on my tiktoks like the comments um it's been really heartwarming endearing actually really humbling and beautiful the amount of vulnerability and transparency that people have been sharing on TikTok, which I was like, this platform's ridiculous. I'm too old. I'm not gonna like dance around. Right. I do dance around <laughs> a little bit, but like I was like, there's it's gonna be so ridiculous. And it's actually been incredibly vulnerable. And I think it's like people are ready to start talking about this stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. But one thing I see is like men versus women, like a little bit of that coming out in the comments. And I'm always like, hey, let's just stop blaming and stop saying it's men or it's women. It's like it's all of us. And it's all of the messaging and it's all of the shame and repression that we've all had around it. And we get to start to undo that. I think but, it, it, it's interesting, interesting bouncing off that point. I, I, I've seen some of the comments and that's one of the, in fact, it's kind of neat, the the TikTok format, just because like you, you're even saying like dancing or being silly, you know, there will be some comments where somebody's going to be like, uh, you know, say, say something mean. Or you know what I mean? Like, like, like even on my content, we, we like Matt said, we're in a band and somebody will uh-huh. say, stick to the, your, you know, your music that you write or don't be, you're not a comedian or you can't be funny or man, you look old or you look fat or whatever, you know, <laughs> they'll say anything there, but it is a little bit freeing. Like you say, if you can be vulnerable enough, you go, wait, there's always going to be some detractor. And so that, you know, that I, I, I appreciate that point, uh, that you're able to do that and kind of feel more free going off of that, like losing yourself a little bit. TikTok, I can kind of lose myself and be a character or be something more than just me in a moment. So I, I, I like that, but I was going to ask you, um, a, a two part question. One, when you were married, uh, you, did you, did it take years to realize it? Was it like, it, obviously there's more stuff than just sex, but it plays out probably sometimes in sex because did it, did it turn into resentment? Like I, I work with, uh, I do this thing called the true man experience and I've talked with, I get together with a bunch of men kind of in a living room setting and we talk and sex is always a huge issue. It's almost always the man, it, just in my experience, mm-hmm. you know, wanting, uh, more sex, but honestly, it's almost always the man just wants to be wanted too. It's not necessarily the, yeah. the sex feels great and you want to, you know, you want to come, you want to have sex. You want to do all that stuff, but the man wants to be wanted, and and oftentimes he feels rejected. I mean, I've done so many of these get-togethers, and I couldn't believe how lonely men kind of felt because they felt, wait a minute, I was pursuing you, and we fell in love, and we had this passion, and it's gone, and you don't, when I'm asking you for sex, I want to connect more than just hump or something. (laughs) Sometimes it's a quickie or something like that. Of course, you know, sometimes it's, it's that carnal. But yeah. other times it's just wanting to be wanted. But in your own marriage, was it like, did you realize it quickly? Was it did, when it became less and less? When did you know? Well, the answer is we had to separate. And then with yeah. that, you didn't think, uh, you know, you didn't just immediately turn on you, all your sexual energy. didn't come right back as soon as you got divorced, right? No, no. Yeah. That's what I, I've said. That, I've shared that in some of the content. It's like, 
this wasn't just like a switch that flipped. This has been a long, this is a process. This is a practice. This is a journey. But to your earlier point, yeah, it's really common, right? 85% of marriages and partnerships struggle in the realm of sex and sexuality. That's reported. So I'm going with like 95 plus percent, right? <laughs> like, yeah, and right. often <laughs> it is more common that is the man wanting more sex. Um, that is more common statistically. Um, however, that was not my experience, which is what has been this interesting thing. Mine was the opposite. Mine was me wanting more sex. And and so because it's more common, I was like, oh my God, something is wrong with me. I'm unattractive. I'm not desirable. I'm broken, right? There was something, you know, am I a sex addict? Like it was this whole thing, like right. what is going on that I'm the one wanting more sex, right? Um, and so that was like an additional layer, like to the pain onion, let's just call it, um, yeah. and having to navigate that and feeling like I couldn't talk to anyone about it because any of my friends that were married, they're all like, oh my God, he wants sex all the time and I want nothing to do with it, right? Flip side of the same coin, right? Right. And so for me, there was that extra navigation. And that's why part of the content that I'm sharing is that like, it doesn't matter if it's the man or the woman wanting more sex. Let's just start talking about how do you start having more sex? How do you start having better sex and more connected sex, you know, in partnerships? Because for me, partnership is like my deepest crucible for growth. It's, um, I've been single, I've been non-monogamous, I've had lovers. I mean, I've really tried many of the paradigms, not all of them, Um, but I am a serial monogamous. That's just what aligns for me. So I learn the most when I'm having sex with one person and when I'm committed with one person in other ways, like you mentioned, besides just in the bedroom. Um, And so for me, it was, you know, navigating that. And so to, to your question about then my marriage ended. And so I, I, you know, it was obviously it's just two way streets, but I said, if, you know, we need to, we've tried everything. We've done everything. We really do need to part ways. And one of the but, questions I get is when do I go or when do I stay? And that's an individual I, question, right? Do you mind if I ask how much of the dysfunction was sex? Like, was it because of the sex or was the, the lack of sex because of other issues or yeah, is there a, a even really a way to evaluate question. that? Yeah. So I think chicken and the egg, right? I think it was from the beginning was not a great, we didn't rock it in the bedroom. Um, And he would say the same thing, you know? Uh, And then it was to, to your point earlier, did it lead to resentment? Totally, totally led to so much resentment for me that then I was, then I shut down. I didn't even, you know, wasn't open to connecting in other ways because I was so hurt. I had internalized and personalized the rejection so deeply that it was just easier to kind of armor up. Right. And I hear that a lot. Like, how do you not personalize rejection? And rejection isn't personal, but it sure as hell feels personal. <laughs> like, right. right. And so to your point, there was so much else going on contributing to. And I say all the time, one of the things I love to say is what happens in life ha- shows up in the bedroom and what happens in the bedroom shows up in life. And so it wasn't just that we weren't having sex or we weren't having frequent sex or we weren't having great sex. It was also that we didn't know how to communicate well. You know, we were young. I, w- I was really young. Um, we didn't know how to communicate well. We, you know, we, we didn't, I didn't know how to share my needs, wants, and desires and say, this is really hurtful. Like uh, this really hurts me. I want to be having, you know, more frequent sex, you know, more broad intimacy and let's do these things. Like let's get some help, go, go to a class, take a Tantra workshop, whatever it might be. I didn't have those skills. Right. Um, in hindsight, I do now. I didn't then, um, and so that you know, long-winded way of saying there was so much that contributed to it because I really believe we don't have sex in a vacuum, right? It's not. <laughs> it's not like. Right. And Esther Perel says foreplay for the woman's brain usually starts the day before, and I love that. Like, there's so much about intimacy, depth, connection, vulnerability, surrender, communication that just to name a few, let alone body image and health and all these things that contribute to fabulous sex. Man. And so when it, when you 
the divorce happens and now you're a single mom and, and what, how did you refine sexual, uh, like uh, exploration or excitement or enjoyment. Yeah. Like, I mean, it seems like you had been since you were hurt from your marriage. Both of you probably were, but I mean, mm-hmm. the, since you were like, it did. Were you? Did you go wild and just try to have as much sex as you could, or did you stay away from what? What, what happens like that? Those next steps after after yeah. the divorce. <laughs> Great question. No, I did not go wild. Shockingly, surprisingly, I did not go wild. <laughs> I think I was also working so much, and I was a single mom, and I was like, who has time to go out like stick right. around with all these men? You know. And I don't judge that because I, I, I also help. I have couples that, that are consciously partying, right? And so I'm helping them navigate what's that like to be back out there in the world. I hadn't been out there in the dating world since I was 21. It really was like college that we're not going to really count that, you know? Right. Um, and so for me, it was like, holy shit, I'm, in my mind, I'm too old. You know, nobody's going to want me, all the stuff that goes on. And so uh, I was like, I really need to commit to myself and my work and my own self-pleasure practices and like reconnect to it, it literally felt like, and I always tell my clients, you're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. It's just really sleepy. Like it's gotten really sluggish. And so let's wake, let's wake this bad boy up or this bad girl up. Right. And so it was really about committing to waking it up. And then I, again, because I was doing my own work, I believe uh, I had uh, reconnected with a friend um, from high school. Uh, and actually the first person I lost my virginity to in high school, we reconnected all these years oh, later. Wow. He was divorced. I was divorced. And he introduced me to Tantra and that wow. became a life-changing uh, practice for me. Tell us about what is it? So I mean, Tantra is a way of living and being, but you know, if, for your listeners, most of them are going to remember like Sting said, you can have sex for like seven right. hours. Yeah, that's all <laughs> I right. knew. I, that Sting was good at it or something. Yeah. <laughs> that's all. Right. And so most of Tantra has nothing to do with sex. It's a way of living and being in the world, but it is absolutely. And it comes out of like India in the fifth and sixth century. But nowadays we're talking more about Neo-Tantra rather than in the West about than about classical Tantra. Um, but it's really uh, this union between all of life and the divine, whatever the divine is for you. Right. And a lot of your listeners are going to be like, well, I don't know how I'm feeling about God, or I don't know what my relationship is with God. It's like, it's not about that. It's about something bigger than you outside of you. And the the, the key for me, because I, I, I grew up Catholic, um, was that it, it's not separate. Sex isn't separate from the divine. Sex isn't separate from our spiritual growth. It's like an essential part of it. So most of Tantra is really about finding the divine in all things, including the bedroom, right? Including yourself, including self-pleasure. And for me, this was growing up Catholic. I was like, wait, I'm supposed to bring the divine into, into the bedroom, right, you know, right. and it's changed my life. And it's a huge part of what I teach. I, you know, I don't focus on Tantra, but it's a, it's a huge aspect of what I teach and coach. Does it affect your, when you say it's more than just the bedroom, like are when, because uh, I really liked on your website, you say uh, invite passion, playfulness, and sacredness into the bedroom. And I thought yeah. that was because honestly, sex feels just like something, another thing on the, to check off on the list for a lot of people, I, even in my right. own marriage, it feels that way sometimes like, because we have three mm-hmm. kids, we uh, both work, we're doing all this stuff, you know, uh, we got to get that in. So we feel somewhat connected or whatever. And, you know, and, you know, m- my marriage has had problems. Matt's marriage, everybody, every marriage mm-hmm. has issues, good, good times, bad times, all those things. But when you talk about Tantra, I- I'm interested in it because it sounds like it's more like, are, are you explain a little bit like the spiritual side of it or, or how does it affect your daily life or a week? And how does it, does it lead you to sex? Yeah. So it's a great question. So my practice, um, I have a daily meditation practice. I have a daily Tantra practice and I usually have a, most days have a breath, breath work practice as that is. Um, but Tantra, you can practice solo. You can practice partnered. You can practice it even if your partner's not practicing it, uh, which has happened for me in several 
partnerships that I've had where I practice and, and he did not. Um, and then you can practice together. And so there's this, um, and it's really about, so for example, for me, it might be feeling pleasure and feeling turned on by life itself, but because we're really myopic, mm-hmm. if I say, ple- I get banned all the time. I'm like, Instagram and stuff literally just today got banned because it's, by the way, it's world anal sex day, national anal sex day <laughs> today. So, you know, happy, yeah. happy uh, national anal sex day. But I, my post got taken down because I was talking about pleasure. I was not talking about anal sex. I was talking mm. about pleasure. It literally, and they said, you're talking about sex. And I'm like, oh, for the love of love. This is why we're so messed up about it. Like mm-hmm. there's, we're really myopic in what pleasure means. So part yeah. of Tantra is living yeah. life turned on by all of life. Like by the fact that I can feel my ponytail, you know, right now on the back of my neck, that feels lovely. And so you start to exercise this pleasure muscle and realize all the things that feel good in your life. And that broadens your experience of pleasure, deepens your experience of pleasure it makes you a better lover. You'll have better orgasms and better sex. And so it's like a win-win, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so that's a little bit about Tantra, you know, and again, it's one of the tools, but if I had to pick, you know, three tools for myself and my clients, it would be Tantra, it would be shadow work, and it would be breath work. Slash oh my goodness. These are all really interesting. On that point of the pleasure thing, that uh, the sex is so strong and or, or whatever. So primal and strong that it it dominates our language so like if a word could have a sexual connotation good luck not having the impulse to take it that way right do you know what i mean like if somebody says pleasure it's like oh i just had so much pleasure this afternoon (laughs) then tell me your sex story is what the the listeners ready to hear who you did it with not i was in a field of daffodils and the sun was giving me pleasure (laughs) across my face and i could feel the warmth of all of the divine (laughs) you know like Mm -hmm. that's not the you said pleasure you mean you know sex or whatever absolutely and so that i think the perversion of language there is a, a, a huge problem yeah, it's really well said. And we're really myopic about that, you know, and as well as many things, what does intimacy mean? What does sex mean? Like actual sex, people assume sex means one thing. and It's really much broader than that. You know, like I said, on National Anal Sex Day, like, is that a part of your world? Is that not a part of your world? Are you open to trying it? If not, why not? Like, let's get curious about it. In Tantra, they, what, <laughs> there's a saying that the asshole's the portal to God. So I'm just going <laughs> to throw that out there today. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's for both men and women and non-binary. It doesn't matter. So, I think that you're right, though. Y'all are touching on something because pleasure it's, it is immediate a little bit it, or quickly we go to a little bit of shame. Because like, if you're having pleasure, it seems like so, too self-indulgent. People and get you so gotta, mad it, at you. Yeah, I know. I mean, it really. you're right, though. <laughs> They're so I, resentful of people. I didn't think about pleasure. that because and, and that means it makes it to where pleasure is only sex. Or so, you know what I mean? So, so, so then it closes all the sensations you can have with sex. It closes off all the other ones though. Like you said, like the, the ponytail in the back of your neck or, you know, a, a warm sun on your face or something like that. Like enjoying that doesn't mean you're going to get a boner or, you know, you immediately start fucking or something like that. But what, what it could mean is you're, you're experiencing that pleasure and, and are you saying you can remember it later too, or add upon it or not only close yourself off. Cause I mean, after COVID and everything, everybody's just so closed off and, and even touch is scary now, you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. uh, all of these things. And so now uh, I really like that you're saying that though, because if you can recognize, wait, I'm having pleasure and it's not immediate, uh, sexually. I mean, it, it can be, but, it, but there's no shame there either. Like, even if you, even if a warm summer day, you're like, Oh man, gosh, I'm kind of getting a little turned on. That isn't bad. Right. Like no, it's not, it's, it's not like you're trying to bad. do something. About it. Yeah. 
if you're not getting turned on, you're literally dead, right? Like figuratively or literally, right? So arousal is a word here that has nothing to do with sex unless it does, though. Like you can be aroused by a melody, right? Like, oh, I'm paying attention. I'm interested. What's next? You are turned on by your music, turned on by creating your music, right? We have this, this thing about turn on, right? And even in partnerships, another like taboo thing is your partner is going to be turned on by other people. It's like, if they're not, they're literally probably not breathing. Right. And so then it's about what do you do with it? What are your agreements? How do you navigate that? Right. Again, back to communication, but arousal, turn on eroticism uh, is really pleasure. Let's just start broadening that and we will all start having better sex. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Has it been, I I mean, if this question is too personal, you can skip it, but like, now that you are so well educated, so vulnerable, so open and talking about that, do you, do, is it, it what, how is it now going into a, a new relationship or other, like, like is it, are people, are, are uh, someone you would date a partner? Or are they like, man, you know, everything and here I, you know, I'm still back here, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I am with, I'm with a partner for four years now. And he at first was like, I was just kind of fully stepping into sex coaching. And he's like, you're going to do what? You know, a little bit, but he was very, he's very open-minded, open-hearted, open sex, you know, so we've grown together so much in that area, but he was a little bit like, wow, you've been practicing for 15 years and I'm just now starting to practice. And I'm like, great. There's literally this thing called beginner's mind in the mindfulness world that like, if you, I've been practicing meditation for a long time, I have this desire for beginner's mind. I, I envy in some ways beginner's mind, right? So bringing beginner's mind in, you know, in a partnership, if you're mismatched on you know, personal development or sex skills or sex positivity. It's like, who cares? Like, and then I get to lead from my feminine. I'm talking about feminine energy, another kind of tantra concept. And he gets to follow, but from the masculine in that way, I lead in this way. And then he leads in almost all other areas of our relationship. And so that has been my relationship with him. But yes, with other partners before him, it was a little, they were like, no, we're really too afraid of this whole thing. <laughs> or we're just not open to it. Like, it's just a no for me. I mean, I had one gentleman who was like, I really am super curious. You're super interesting. And it's, it's a no, like, I'm too freaked out by it. I was like, great. Yeah. Thank you what for not wasting my time or your time. The, what, the, I mean, what type of, I don't mean like in a detailed yeah. sexual way, but yeah. what about the tantra, territory? You know, sacred sexuality, Tantra, you know, exploring things like conscious kink, also like how to really depth and vulnerability of communication. I was asking for, for, I like depth. I mean, I, I'm all about cultivating intimacy on all of my friendships as a parent, you know, in my work relationships in the bedroom. And for this gentleman, he, it was like, no, he's like, I'm not literally not interested in depth. And I was like, great. Wish you well. Thank you for not wasting my, and it was very tender, hugged and both tearful and parted ways. You know, it was, it was, we were absolutely incompatible in that way. And again, in my marriage, so we were also incompatible then, but we were young and we didn't have the skills and we had a kiddo. And so, you know, one of the questions I get a lot is stay or go. I don't know how to navigate yeah. this. And I always say, I, I am not in your soul. I'm not in your psyche. I'm not in your home. I'm not in your sex, but, but really getting quiet and, and saying like, have we tried everything? Is my partner willing to try? What are they willing to try? Have, have we gotten help and therapists and coaches and books and, you know, and, and most importantly, have we prioritized the fact that we want to be having great sex, the fact that we want to be able to like, feel like we want to rip each other's clothes off. Right. Because just simply putting your priority and your attention there has just set you apart from most couples. How does it get so hard to communicate about sex? Even like, you know, uh, I mean, uh, Matt and I've talked about this before too, even in our own marriages, it is really difficult. And it's surprising to me because uh, most people watch 
a lot of sex on TV. You know, it's, it's everywhere, and, and there's passionate sex, or you know, I mean, uh, you know, sex scenes, or people talking about it, or or talking about the talking about not talking about. I mean, it's everywhere. Sex is all throughout our culture. How does it get so tough to to talk about and say, "Hey, I, I do want sex." Like one of the questions I had for you: Do do people really want to reignite the passion with each other? Like it seems like sometimes they don't. Almost. Yeah, that's really well said. And my partner, he had, he had a great insight for me one time. He's like, Stormy, you love death. Not everyone loves death, right? Like some people are fine with it just being meh. And I said, yeah, but I would really challenge that at your essence, are you really fine with having a mediocre to meh sex life? Or are you just not willing to put the time, energy, you know, investment, you know, and prioritization into having good sex because of the things like life and kids and all the things that pull us in other directions. And again, no shame in that, but just owning like, you know, I'm not willing to prioritize it or I am. And if you are, there is so much that can be done to reignite passion in a relationship. Uh, I, I know it. I've experienced it. I get to teach it. I've seen it in the, in the, the clients I get to work with. Um, and so there's, you know, it's, it's really like a message of hope. And if you're not, if it works for you and your partner, no judgment there. I just know for me, I'm not going to be in a relationship that I'm not having great sex. And that just is not, it's a no for me. And so and again, not every day, all the time, great sex, but we're committed to staying on that journey. And so that, you know, that's a big, that's a big shift. And, and to your other question about why do we, right, we have this hyper obsession with sex and like hyper repression with sex. It's like uh-huh. both ends, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's everywhere. Right. We're constantly being bombarded with messaging. Porn is everywhere, you know, let alone non-porn and sex on TV and things like that. Lyrics, right? Lyrics of songs, like all of this uh, poetry, I mean, everywhere. Uh, but then we also, in our relationship, to your point, it can, why I think it's so hard to talk about is we're not practiced at it. We're not taught it. We're not taught, taught sex positivity. Like right now I'm in Utah and they like literally teach abstinence only in the schools. My, so my son had a different experience because he came home to mom who's a sex coach and we were going <laughs> to talk all about it, but you know, it's like, we don't learn how to talk about it. It's not, and it's, uh, often we haven't had a history of in relational experiences of talking about it, or maybe we tried and we got really shamed or, or you know, shunned or shut down. Um, and so we, we sort of shut down ourselves, but it's something you can build those skills on. And you start to normalize it. And often the, the man, and this is in a hetero couple, the man can be really the powerful leader in saying like, let's talk about this. Let's look at this. Let's, let's commit to this. Like, I want to have fabulous, amazing sex with you. Like there's not very many people that are going to be like, no. And if you, if someone is no, then I think you really need to look at what, what is the dynamic in the relationship? What's serving that and what's hindering that? And with curiosity, not with like, oh, whatever, I'm just bailing. Or, oh, whatever, I'm just going to settle for this. It's really getting curious about the importance and relevance of sex in your relationship. Can yeah. you, can you, okay, so once again, just a lot of the men that I've talked to and, and can't, if you are having bad sex, can you get better at it? Like, can a, can a man go to his wife or a wife to the husband and say, we can, let's have better sex. It, it I love that idea, but like, you know, then you're, you know, you're, everything, all your thoughts coming, you know, am I, am I good at sex? Uh, is my totally. dick big enough? You know, that's a big one with me. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, uh, is she, how do I find her clitoris or, or you know, right. or, or all, all of those things like, can you, I mean, with, with you teaching and helping people, can, can you get better? Like two people that aren't having great sex, they can actually get good at it with yeah, each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and it's, I love that you said that because I really believe again, in making some, some, 
broad stroke assumptions, but uh, the men that I get to work with and interact with, they all want to be fabulous, amazing lovers, right? It is really beautiful. Um, and a lot of the women I get to work with, again, broad strokes, but they want to be able to surrender and find their orgasm and, you know, connect more deeply with a partner in and out of the bedroom. And right. So these are some commonalities, but yeah, absolutely. You can become a better lover. It doesn't matter man, woman, non-binary, it doesn't matter. You can absolutely, and I hope we all do, I hope we're learning to become better lovers to our like last breath or we go out with an awesome orgasm or right. something, you know? <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. There's skills and practices, some of which are sexual and many of which are not, many of which are these other realms of intimacy mm-hmm. that we've kind of been, you know, touching into. And I think, you know, back to your question about why do we not talk about it? It's also really vulnerable, right? We, yeah. we tend to really vulnerable, it tends to be a really vulnerable subject tends to be one we've personalized and had good and bad experiences with, right? It's also one that's really can be really laden with trauma or trauma inducing or trauma triggering. And so, you know, we have all of this working against us, but we have so much working towards us, which is the fact that you married this person, you love this person at one point, at one point, I'm assuming you were having good sex. And then what happens, right? And with no judgment, curiosity, and how do you get back on the path to being committed to that, to reigniting that, you know, that passion with each other. There's another thing that's coming up for me here when we talk about repression that's adjacent to that and, and with the it being so pervasive in the culture, it's just the compartmentalization of of it all it is it seems like we're able to compartmentalize a lot. And then there's this reverse effect sometimes that has happened that um in with Christianity, uh and I'm just this is just coming up to see if it makes sense, but it's like there's another part of Christianity that taboos the whole thing. But then when you're married, it's very prescriptive that men should do this and women, you should be having good sex. And a lot of times I've seen that be really abusive in Christianity to people where the spiritual authorities are commanding you to have good sex um, as if it's just a sexual matter. But it's all these other things that it's connected to. So it's like you want to you're supposed to have good sex and you want to. But if you just focus on that, then without being willing to actually open your whole self, the holistic way of what is, what are these issues here? They're not Mm, just physical issues. So the fact that we're supposed to be having great sex now, uh, my pastor told me that. So, but that doesn't, and then that you can, uh, a man can be really closed off and just then expect or demand or pressure that (laughs) when it's not appropriate because (laughs) you're not willing to do whatever work it would be in that holistic Kind of Absolutely. Sense. Right. And that, I, I mean, I love that. I love that you just brought that to the forefront because it's right. That's just more trauma, right? That's just more like it. And again, it can be for man or woman or both. It's like, I don't, that's ignoring your bodies. No, right. Like I don't want to have sex yet. I'm told I have to. So I'm going to like prescriptively do so and like literally disembody, go right. somewhere else, like do my taxes mm. or my laundry list right. or whatever, like check the box. Okay. Pastor did, did it twice this week or whatever the prescription is. So it's really harmful to give a prescription. I I do not prescribe sex to my clients because usually they're coming to me because they're because sex is the challenge. So otherwise I'm just lumping more of that. We I might give them tools to try if sex is coming up organically, um, or if they're in another let's broaden the other kinds of intimacy, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it's really harmful to say, you know, have sex twice a week. It's like, well, if they could, they would have already found their way to that, right? Or they're ignoring their no. And like you said, for the man, let's say it's a, the woman's no, and she's ignoring her no, just for an example. And the man is like, oh, I don't even feel connected. I'm literally just masturbating into this person. Like that doesn't right. feel good for them either. Right. Right. So I mean, I love that you brought that up. I think that's really harmful. Um, I think that can be really harmful. Um, and, you know, it, and certainly in my marriage, I experienced, um, you know, well, I wasn't 
allowed to ask for a divorce, right? It wasn't biblically sound to ask for a divorce. Um, and so I was literally like ostracized from the church, you know, and that was really, that was as painful for me as my divorce because that was my community at the time. Right. Um, and this wasn't Catholic. This was a non-denominational Christian uh, group, but it was really painful. It was really harmful. It was really hurtful. And I literally said, what Christian principle is this teaching? And they're like, well, we just can't support you. And I was like, what Christian principle right. is that teaching that you can't support me as right. I'm choosing to dismantle my family um, because it's the choice I need to make. And so that, again, was really prescriptive and really myopic, you know, so. So, but we know if you, to further shade the idea that's like, um, like you said, some people aren't willing to prioritize it, basically. Mm-hmm. Are, can some people can't? though prioritize it like that what it would mean to look at that they couldn't even Mm -hmm. do it like maybe is it okay for them to say i am not willing to prioritize that totally yeah that's really well said i mean and often like you know someone or people ask about well what about asexual persons or what about people with really high trauma past sexual or not Mm -hmm. sexual that's showing up in sex it's like all of those things are absolutely relevant and important that we that you that you get curious on right are you an asexual person do you have a history of trauma Uh, so my clients often if they have a deep history of trauma, they're also working with a therapist to work through that trauma so that that they can integrate that trauma and that trauma is no longer a a hard block to the sex that they want to have, right? So there's all these different realms um, of that, but also, yeah, I think it's, if if you're not willing to prioritize it and let's say your partner is or is wanting something different, that's a really, that's an impasse spot. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean you have to part ways. It means that's where you get curious to say, help me understand why this is just a no for you. I'm actually really curious. I'm not, I'm not going to personalize this. I'm not going to get defensive. I want to understand that because for me, it's an, it's a really, it's an absolute yes. And then you navigate with all your other skills, right? But being at an impasse in a relationship happens, right? <laughs> We've all been there, right? Uh-huh. And then you get to navigate, but not navigating it, not right. communicating about it does not make it not an impasse. It just makes it a wall. Like in a, in a business partnership, you can have stuff that you completely disagree about that doesn't totally. necessarily end the business partnership, but you can't have one where you don't talk about the, what you disagree, like that it's pretend like it does, it's not there basically. Right. And if, if there's, well, we make assumptions a lot about our partners, right? I find myself doing it too. And I'm like, we literally cannot know what our partner is thinking yet. We assume to know so much right. of the time. And definitely in sex, we try to make assumptions, right? So if let's say Mm. your partner is a no and you're a yes, right? For prioritizing intimacy, just for example's sake. And you're going to make all sorts of descriptions and assumptions as to why you think that your partner is not doing this. And maybe some of them might be right, but probably none of them are fully accurate, right? Instead of asking them, getting curious, maybe they have a trauma past that they haven't shared with you. I mean, there's so many different things that could be contributing to that, but the assumptions are always going to lead you astray. And we literally cannot know what our partner is thinking. <laughs> yeah, we, we do all the time. How do you uh, navigate like uh, when, when we're talking about communication? I think everybody wants that, but then it's hard to receive. We're not prepared to receive the answers. For example, like just uh, even in my own life or, uh, you know, some of the men I've worked with, like you say, okay, I'm, uh, I want to have sex. I've been feeling horny. I, I'm so attracted to you or whatever. I'm not in the mood. So you go, okay, uh, now I have to not be, you know, I just, I felt like I was being vulnerable and say, you know, cause I'm trying to hook up with you in a way, you know, and now it's a no, I don't want to be upset or angry or anything. Like, I understand that sometimes it's a no, I get it. But it, it, how do you, how do couples, when they communicate, how do you learn to 
receive and give the answers. Like, hey, you know, I mean, it seems like sometimes the communication is hard because it's not just uh, I'm not in the mood tonight, but we'll we'll definitely do it tomorrow night. So it, it seems like it's a it'll be a no or it'll be a yes, but under these conditions or you know and <laughs> yeah. and, and and then I, one thing too that I've realized that I, I mean I, nobody educated me on this. The same thing is I have experienced at least it seems to be hard for women to move from mom and motherhood and uh, maternal things ha- handling the family and doing things into I'm sexy now I'm ready to go get boned or something you know what I mean yeah, like that, that feels like one of the yeah. hardest things to navigate <laughs> yeah totally so a couple of things that came for me there is one the person who's receiving the no really like take a breath and be ge- gentle with yourself like literally take a deep breath because you're going to be like oh right like your natural right. response is going to be like another time I'm rejected or whatever right I'm projecting my own stuff right here right like oh yeah. one more time so instead, just taking a deep breath and really like some resourcing for yourself back to yourself, because it is always about taking care of ourself, right? Ourself as the beloved before someone else is the beloved. Um, and then bringing curiosity, and then for the person who's receiving the note, bringing curiosity, which is easier said than done, particularly in that moment, but bringing curiosity to your partner, like, you know, is, is it a no? Because I'm curious about the no for you. I honor your no, right? We're not going to push you into yes because nobody wants to have sex with a maybe, right? Like we're like, it's like or a no, it's, we've all done it. It's harmful to, to both partners. Um, and we're not even talking about like non-consensual. We're talking about consensual overriding of your boundaries, right? But so uh, the other thing is to be, so bringing curiosity and then talking about it when you're not in the charge, when you're not in the moment, right? And really doing full body listening, right? Usually we listen, to talk like we listen and we're half listening and half preparing our response particularly in this realm and particularly if it's a pattern in the relationship so really bringing in that curiosity and bringing in full body listening not talking about it in that moment um and then for the person giving the no is really checking in this is how i work with myself and my clients it's like is it a no is it a no really checking in is it a no or am i is it is it a maybe i'm open to exploring and seeing if it does change into yes right or, you know, it's a no for me for this reason, and I'm open to this. Or it's a no for me for this reason, but like tomorrow morning, I would love to make love, right? So you're getting both, you're, you're getting movement on both parts, right? On both persons. Um, but you're also bringing in this this depth of relating that wasn't there before. That's so really again, fascinating. Easier said than done, but. I picked that up in the, some language that you had sent before. You, you referred to something as um, cerebral and somatic. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really, really interesting to bring in here that there's the cerebral part and then there's the body, or you call it the, the whole body listening. And that's something I wouldn't have ever understood. That I'm just now starting to understand, but that's starting to make sense to me yeah. in that um, they say something similar, like in like uh, training uh, for like uh, self-defense or something, like if there's a cerebral knowledge that you're worried about something in a paranoid way, maybe. You don't mm-hmm. listen to that in at all the same way as I'm in the elevator with this person. I feel funny yeah. that you listen to that, totally. you know, but the yeah. divorcing of those two and say, well, statistically mm-hmm. you're this way or whatever, very different. And there's both, there's both things probably going, you know, I never would have made that distinction about sex before, yeah. but it's got to be the same. Yeah. I love that. I that love that point. Like, so it's right. Aligning head, heart, sex. Uh-huh. <laughs> the work that I get to do really is about aligning your head, your heart, and your sex, right? Cause we can all get up in our head. We've all like led with our heart and our emotions and we maybe have all led at one point. I know I have with my sex, right? None of, none of those really make the best decisions 
in autonomy. It's really as we strengthen the connection between them. Um, and into and a huge part of that, what you just mentioned, the elevator is really tapping into the body and the wisdom of the body. The body cannot lie. We can override our bodies, yes, or our bodies, no. Uh, we can override our bodies' intuition. We do also often, right? Because busy lives don't promote pausing and listening to our bodies. But great sex calls for pausing and listening to your body. And so that, and we're retraining ourselves to do that. Because again, we're not taught that. Our culture doesn't support doesn't promote that way. Right? We don't promote pause and, and listening and reflection and self-confrontation, right? We, we promote go, 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 busy, produce, produce, right? <laughs> like it's, you know, it's, right. it's really opposite of the cultural messaging. And so, yeah, it's a great way to, to grow your relationship, but also just grow your life by really learning to cultivate the connection between your head, your heart, and your sex. That overriding thing is, is fast is, um, are you so it's possible to override like you're listening to your body at how i'm just looking for an example of that so your spouse asks you for sex and you say no but you could listen and maybe find out it was a yes or is it just go the other way yeah, where that's you a great override. example mm-hmm. like so i can just share you know let's say personally for me it's like i might be like oh i'm kind of tired right <laughs> or whatever i have a headache or whatever and then it's like huh was that set out of habit was it said because like you mentioned earlier, like I had the kids on me all day long and I'm like, please don't touch me right now. I'm feeling like still in mom mode and I need to warm up into, you know, lover mode. Um, is it that, you know, the way that you just approached me triggered me from something in my past that, right. There's so many iterations and nuances to that, but I get to pause and reflect and to say, you know, it really is a no for me right now. And this is, and, and, and I don't have to share the reason behind my no, but I can, if I want to. Um, and then it's also being, willing to listen to be like, you know, I'm actually open to this. I just was prescriptively saying no, because I was used to saying no. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then really getting curious. But and that's what I'll, 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 when I work with my clients or myself is that at any point, my yes can be my no, can be my maybe. And so can yours, right? We get to navigate that all together in the sexual encounter, well, in life, but also in the sexual encounter and then learning to start to communicate about it. Right. And the flip side of that is always, uh, maybe you said that's always harmful to do it the other way around where you override, your body is saying no, but cerebrally yeah. you say you override and say yes. That's always yeah. a bad idea. Well, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't love superlatives, but I would say often okay. it's not the best idea because we're, we're losing, it's making our body lose faith that we're going to trust it, listen to it. Right. Um, and it also can be extraordinarily harmful and like the, example of like non-consensual sex right? right um it so it can be like i'm going to override but a lot of the like for example with a lot of my female clients it's really learning to listen to my no and honor my no because that makes me trust my yes mm. so much more right and and we when we're making love as two as two people you get you feel someone's yes you feel someone's no you feel someone's maybe right it's all in the space right but when i override my no it's just harm to myself. And, and as, and I can speak as a woman, as women, we're sort of taught often to override it. Right. And so yeah. there's this re- reclamation of power and sexiness when we learn to really honor our no. But again, my no doesn't have to be a wall between us. My no can be a, a bridge between us. I, uh, one of the things too, I've been learning about and, and I, it seems so easy, but I don't, it just, I guess, as you get older and you're married, and you just ha- you have kind of expectations on your marriage and what it is. Like, I remember, like when my wife and I were dating, oftentimes making out didn't lead to sex. 
it was it yeah. was making out or you know uh, <laughs> I love uh, making out dry, dry humping or whatever and, and it was fun there was real pleasure in that yes, and I realized yes. now there's so much weight on let's get to the sex like, oh well, we got to get we got to fit it in or whatever and I, I've been realizing that more and more like but I enjoy just making I mean like there's there's tons there's, there's been not tons but there's been many times where uh my wife was in the mood, but we decided to make out or she didn't want to have sex, but we had oral sex or something yeah. like that, you know, and then we were both really turned on and it, totally. it, you know, it even led to sex okay. or we made out or we, you know, I, I, I want to, I, I want to experience more of that because even what you were saying earlier about pleasure, it is funny because it, so often sex becomes penis and vagina, go back and forth, finish and, and you, you just did sex. But it, mm-hmm. but you, I like the way you're talking about it because it is way more outside of the bedroom. It's way more than just our genitals. It's it, you know it's it's a bigger scope. And if you can enjoy pleasure in other ways, like making out with my wife is really fun. It it's just so is fun. fun. I but, love but it, that. But sometimes <laughs> it feels silly to do it because well, we're just gonna make out. You know, you know what I mean? Like like it's hard because sex seems like the thing you're supposed to do because you're married. Right. You know, right. especially coming from the Christian background, right. especially because exactly. you, know, you know you weren't you're supposed not to do actually it before. Supposed to enjoy so. it. You're supposed to appropriate with it, right? I mean, right. you know, <laughs> like the yeah, message yeah, exactly, that, right? exactly, yeah, absolutely. No, I love that, and I always say like dry humping, rolling around, fooling around, you know, hands and mouths. Like we 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 often forget how much fun that is, and yeah. how much how much erotic energy can build, and how much tension where you literally cannot wait any longer. Like that's a, that's a yummy place to be and to cultivate. And we often just go right to what we know works, the positions we know works. And like maybe the man orgasms and the woman doesn't, which happens a lot. Right. I mean, that was one of my, one of my TikToks that went pretty viral is about how, how <laughs> many women will like don't reach orgasm from penetration alone. And all these men are like, wait, were all these women faking it? And I was like, well, I don't know. I wasn't there, but statistically <laughs> I would say yes, that they were faking it, you know? Right. Um, but again, like the pleasure gap, right. You're talking about just in, again, this isn't judgment on men being bad lovers or women being, you know, shut off or cold. None of that at all. It's literally anatomy of arousal, right? So we have these differences in that leads to this pleasure gap, the orgasm pleasure gap. And one of the ways to bridge, one of the main ways to bridge that gap between the typical time men orgasm, the typical time women orgasm is with foreplay is with extending foreplay. And so that's something I always, when, I, when I'm teaching about sexual mastery and how do you close the pleasure gap, that's a big one. Like I literally say quadruple the length of your foreplay. Man, that, I, 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 I want to do that. And the kids are in the other room and you got to lock the door, put the, we put the clothes hamper in front of the door so they can't come in and all that stuff. You know, it's, it's, I think that is the, what the big, the biggest issue I, I see with folks is that it is hard to make time for it. And then when you do make time for it, you feel pressure to perform or to be in, like really romantic or like you mm-hmm. said, foreplay, like you get, you know, there's always timelines and stuff like that. So I think it's just, I think the communication is the biggest aspect. Like I, I do want you, I do want to be here. Maybe not tonight. Maybe, maybe it's next week, but you know, but uh, if people can uh, communicate more and more, we, uh, I didn't even tell you this stormy, but we actually started, well, we didn't start it. We bought it off some friends. Uh, there was some ladies that did uh, the free sex podcast and their families got really busy and they needed to stop doing the podcast, but they had started a sex toy shop called marriage supply for married mm-hmm. folks. And so we bought it, we own it and we run oh. it now. Cool. And the, big, the, the, the biggest part about that is we just thought, you know, there's, there's tons of, you know, Adam and Eve, many amazing uh, sex toy sites, but we wanted one specifically for married folks just to like, we, we feel like a sex toy just opens up a conversation. Even if you don't use it, 
it feels a little flirty to go guess what i bought even if it it stayed in the drawer you know so we want that the communication is the most important thing i think that's across the board that's that's why we have the biggest issues on social media people say things and it's so hard to understand what you know in text what somebody's saying or and then in your own marriage when you have so much going on but i think that is really the key to all of this what we're all saying is if, if you can just find a way to be flirty and communicate it eventually will lead you hopefully to where you need to go right yeah, but and there's that's a vulnerability. What, and, and the tender that, part yeah. is, I think it does, it will lead you to where you want to go. Or, and this I say so pretendly, it will show you where there's major incompatibilities. And then you get to, in a more informed, conscious way, decide what to do with those, right? In your partnership. Yeah. And that, and that I say tenderly because I, I, because my heart is with, is with relationships, it's with partnerships, okay. you know? Okay. So that's the dangerous idea for some right there. I think that's the exactly dangerous idea is that conscious, um, that conscious look at incompatibility because that you don't know when you take the journey what you right. might if you're going to find that or not. So Sounds that scary, is the right? that's the that's the scary uh, totally. you know, whatever moment is where you choose a path. Like I would like conscious awareness of po- of what possibly is deep incompatibility that I'll have to wrestle with, and certainly your family and communities they don't want you doing that. They right. just want you to right. keep the status quo, of course. So, you know, you're just saying, since I'd like to have a better marriage with better sex, I now have to walk down a path that might lead to my divorce is what that sounds like. Yeah, I mean, it certainly could. I mean, and then I say that again with so much tenderness and compassion, I've been there, you know, is that it also, if you look at the divorce rate, but you also look at the like infidelity rate and the amount of unhappy marriages that are reported out there, it's, you know, it really is a personal decision. We have this one life to live, maybe meh is good enough. And, and again, no judgment on that, but you get to start to be curious about that because what, but what I think to your point, it is powerful and brave and courageous and vulnerable to step into this sort of self-confrontation and this sort of confrontation mm-hmm. I say in, in parentheses, this sort of reflection in your partnership because it will point you in the right direction either way, right? It'll point you in your growth, your own personal growth, it'll point you in the growth for your partnership and it will, it will point you in your, in the growth for your life. However, you can't drag someone along with you, right? <laughs> That's what I say. Right, like you can't, right, you can't right. make someone else do the work. Um, just like communication is a two-way street, but you get to focus on your own evolution, your own growth. And there's so much that can be done in the partnerships. Even if one person, I have many clients I work with where one partner is not willing to, to do the work with me and one partner is. Great. There's so much that can be done because that person is going to learn self-pleasure practices, going to learn to reclaim their joy, reclaim their power, reclaim their orgasm that has nothing to do with their partner and yet invites their partner in if their partner's willing to come along. So they can come in later. uh, And a lot, I don't know what the stats are. I don't know if you have any stats, but is it common for another, if one person's willing to do the work, that at least increases the possibility that the other partner might come along or do it. Yeah, absolutely. Think about our family of origin, right? The number one way we learn is modeling, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So imagine if you're the partner who isn't, maybe you're not even, maybe it's not that you're not willing, you're not even aware. Like you don't even know that this is a possibility to do this work. And also you're like, what is going on with my partner? Like there, that is hot. Like whatever they got going on is really attractive. And also like you're seeing this different part of your partner and this different power in your partner, this different mm. sexiness and vibrancy in your partner. It's like, you know, curiosity killed the cat sometimes where you're like, I don't even know what's happening, but I'm curious enough to start to explore it. Mm. Yeah. This this has been great. I uh, I had a bunch of uh, some other questions as well, but we'll we'll uh, I'll save them because some of them are just. I, I really like once again. Everybody go to people can find you at, at Love Deep Lab right uh, dot com, and that's the name of your TikTok as well, right? And you you give uh, out like sex sex facts and uh, yeah. 
the one so I just watched. LoveDeepLab.com is the love website. Deep lab. On yeah. Instagram at Love Deep Love, but uh, TikTok is Touchy Subjects with three Touchy S's Subjects, that's right. Because yeah. uh, one of the ones I just had watched is, uh, I think you have it pinned at the top, was how long does sex last? And you said the study said it's uh, it can be 33 seconds to 44 <laughs> minutes. And then the average median time is 5.4, which I think is helpful because people, I mean, you see on TV, it looks like they have sex for a day. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and, and people are like, yeah, but I don't think it lasts. You know, I, I mean, I just think all these, all the more information you can get, you can go, wait a minute, I'm not. I'm not weird or off or, yeah, you know, my, my, right. maybe I, I do desire sex, but I'm not, maybe I'm having more sex than I thought I was or, okay. you know, all of those things. I think all of those things are super helpful. Yeah. Uh, and I know part of you is broken, right? To know you're not alone and that is, this is really, you know, common or this is what this research shows, you know, is really helps people. And that's been a common thread on touchy subjects on TikTok is people saying, well, I didn't, I felt so alone in this. Like, and I'm so right. happy to, and you know, you know, it's not like misery loves company, but a little bit, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy to know that I'm not broken. Something isn't wrong with me. And that's right. what I, I mean, that's what I say. Like nothing is wrong. Nothing is broken. We have this opportunity in life to heal these aspects of ourselves, to become more powerful, to become the badasses that we all are and the sexual beings that we all are and to do so thoughtfully. Yeah. That's so great. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. This is awesome. We really appreciate your time. So great. So fun meeting you both. I love the questions and the accents and all of it. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Well, I'll be watching your TikToks for sure. <laughs> Sounds good. Bye-bye. Awesome. Have a great day. You too.